Well, thank you, Pastor David. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Uh, I want you to know I grew up just down the freeway in uh, Mission Viejo, graduated Mission Viejo High School. That was way back in the day when Orange County still grew oranges. And I, I have known of Evry Free Fullerton forever since, you know, pre-birth. Um, uh, Chuck Swindoll was just a kind of a part of our con- uh, conversations and, and part of the influence in my life. Also, my brother Mark actually was on staff here in the mid-90s uh, in the youth department, and he had a couple of great years and was able to visit in that season as well. Uh, I've been in ministry for 25 years. I, I had a season at Mission Viejo Christian Church, and then at Saddleback Church, and then for the last 12 years, I've been up in the Seattle region at Overlake Christian Church. I love that beautiful, messy ministry that God has called me to up there. I love my incredibly wonderful and crazy family. I just want to introduce them to you real quick. This is my wife, Jody, uh, in the middle there, and then uh, my daughter, Alex. She's our oldest, just driving uh, my my son Caleb on the end, and then Doozy, uh, we had a chance to adopt our youngest from South Africa about five years ago, and uh, it, it's just been an incredible journey. His given name was Mdoozy Shozi. Uh, it's a beautiful, powerful Zulu name. It means comforter, so we wanted to keep it. I just want you to know he's the only Mdoozy in his class. I understand that uh, Evie Free is jumping into a series on Jonah. It's going to take you into Easter. I, I just want you to know, I wrote a book on Jonah called Glorious Mess. Because everywhere I went, people were like, Pastor, I, I need more Jonah. I have to have more Jonah. I've got a fever, and there's only one cure, Jonah. No, n- never, actually. It's largely been written off. In fact, if you Google Jonah, you'll find children's videos and Jonah Hill, the actor. Um, The reason why I chose Jonah is the same reason it's called Glorious Mess. It's because nobody is messier than Jonah. I identify with mess. And if you know the book, you know he's a mess at the beginning of the book. He hears from God. He runs from God. He dead ends his life in messiness. Then he obeys God for like 20 minutes, and at the end of the book, he's a mess again. But God's glory shines throughout. And I thought, oh, that is so refreshing. It's so authentic. Because so often in Christendom, what we do is we coach our testimonies to sound like this. Once I was blind, and now I see. Once I was this, bad, bad, baddy, bad, but now I'm this, good, good, goody, good. But that's rather inauthentic, isn't it? So much more true to form to say, once I was a mess 53 ways, and then I met Jesus. Now I'm a mess 37 ways, but God's glory shines throughout. So I wrote a book on it. It's called Glorious Mess. I was fortunate enough, Pastor Rick Warren endorsed the book. He called it Pure Gold, and I'm happy to report that it has sold dozens of copies all across America. (laughs) impacted tens of lives. (laughs) We've got it available for you over in the commons after service. Please consider buying a copy and getting it out of my garage. I would thank you. (laughs) 
What I want to do is I want to talk about, and we're going to just tip a, a, a little toe into the book of Jonah today. I want to talk about this concept of hearing God, because that's where the book starts, hearing God. And if you're somebody who takes notes, one of the things you might consider writing down is just this truth, that we have to understand God speaks through life circumstances. And, and, and the premise, of course, is that he is speaking, he is calling, he is co- co- guiding and prompting and nudging us, and, and so how does he do that? He does that not in the absence of life circumstances, but right in the midst of them. When I was nine years old, my dad took me and my buddy Avery on a little fishing excursion. I was not much of a fisherman. My dad loves to fish. And, and so he, he gets us set up there on the riverbank and he puts the worm on the hook and he hands me the pole. And so I rear back and I'm imagining I'm going to cast this thing out. The fish will strike instantly. I'll get my own bass fishing television show. It did not happen like that. So I rear back to cast, I go to cast the line, and it never clears my shoulder. So I pull again, and, and it's still caught on something, and so with all my might, I yank, it's still stuck. I turn around to see, it was my buddy Avery. My first cast, I nabbed a 60-pounder, and the hook, I have no idea how, it had gone through the tip of his index finger, and so every time I pulled, he pointed... I think he was so confused, he didn't yell, I yelled, and my dad comes running with pliers and a band-aid, calming words to avoid litigation. (laughs) That skunked us, that ended our fishing trip, we didn't catch a thing, but I had, at the age of nine, become a fisher of men. (laughs) But, um, okay, now... Dumb story, I know, but here's the thing. What if in the midst of life circumstances, we sense and recognize and listen to the call of God? What if every moment was a rich moment to ask the question, God, what are you saying to me here? What if the I just hooked my fishing buddy moment and I'm just getting coffee moment, I'm just going to work again moment, I'm just tucking my kids in bed moment. What if every moment, was a rich moment in which we could hear God's call. I want you to ask yourself, when you find yourself in unusual circumstances, or you find yourself in difficult circumstances, or you find yourself in everyday circumstances, what if you ask, God, what are you trying to call me to through this? You see, many of us, we recognize that God has a call, capital C, a big picture arc of our life kind of a call, where we know where we want the whole trajectory to go. But I wonder if you believe that he has a little C call on your life too, that he has a call on this week, that he has call on your day today, that maybe even in the next hour, he's got a call for you. And are you willing to listen? And what would happen if you began to listen? You see, it's one of those things where I've met so many people over the last 25 years who say something like, once I get through these circumstances, once I get out of these circumstances, once the season of my life and my circumstances change, then I'll be able to listen to and respond to God. And my argument is it's right in the midst of your circumstances that God's call is going to come. So if we're going to hear God, we need to recognize this call comes in the midst of our circumstances. The second truth is that we need to recognize this. We need to believe that God guides his servants. 
If we're going to hear from God, we need to believe God guides his servants. Let's jump into Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Now the word of the Lord, so the whole thing starts out with God's call. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. What we see is that God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. God thinks Nineveh's great. He calls Jonah, go to that great city. In fact, in the book of Jonah, he calls it great three, four times. God thinks Nineveh's great, but he also knows it's evil. And so he wants Jonah to go. He sees its potential. He knows it can change. Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, he says. But we don't know anything about Jonah. There's no backstory. There's no intro. In fact, the only thing we know about Jonah comes from 2 Kings chapter 14. It says this, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So what we see in this verse, the only other verse about Jonah, is that Jonah is identified as God's servant. Now, the mark of a servant is a servant is ready to listen to the master's call. A servant sits on the edge of their seat waiting to do the master's will. Now, we don't use these terms very often anymore, master and servant, for good reason. But, but what if, for the sake of this conversation, we reimagine the term master to define itself as this, the one who loves you better than you could even love yourself? The one who knows you more than you could ever know yourself. The one who will call you to only what your heart already deeply yearns to do. Because that's the truth about how God is wired and how he loves you as a father. And, and maybe you're already living your life in this posture that you're the servant of, of God, your father. And if you're not living your life like this, I, I promise you, you probably know someone who is. They're the kind of people with the best stories, you know, it was like midnight, and I just sensed that God was telling me, go to McDonald's and order a chocolate shake, and ask the guy behind the counter if he'd given up on his dreams. So I did, and I ordered a chocolate shake. I said, hey, bud, have you given up on your dreams? The guy says, yes, I have. He starts crying instantly. I lead him to Jesus. I help him get off drugs, get him into college. He thrives. He's now the prime minister of Luxembourg. And that story's fictional, but, but you've heard stories like that, and, and, and you know that, they, that when you hear a story like that, some great victory that God was at the center of, you think to yourself, I wish God would call me into something like that. I wish God would invite me into an adventure like that. The premise is, he is. Far more often than we're aware, we need to recognize that God guides his servants, now, I need God to kind of hit me over the head, or at least call me on the phone. Uh, one night, several years ago, our church had this thing called the pastoral care phone, and it was assigned to different pastors. The idea was anyone in the congregation or community could call that number, so anytime, 24-7, they'd get a live pastor uh, on the other end, and, and I had the phone one night, and I get a call. It's about 3 a.m. Now, here's my confession. I'm not very pastoral at 3 a.m., I'm barely a Christian before 6 a.m. in my cup of coffee. So I get a call, and, and through my sleepy end of the conversation, I hear that th this woman is describing herself as, as the ex-wife of a man who's in a coma. And, and, and she is there in the hospital with me. He's in a, been in a coma for several months, but the doctors don't think he's going to last very much longer. 
she doesn't think he's ever accepted the Lord. And, and so could I come down to the hospital and preach Jesus to him? Now, what I wanted to do was to go back to sleep. But what I sensed God wanting me to do was to go down to the hospital. And so reluctantly, I said, yeah, I'll come down. I, I get out of bed, get dressed, drive to the hospital. Everything was just as she described. Wires everywhere, monitors everywhere. He's laying there. And so I go up to the side of his bed and I just begin to preach Jesus to him. I just begin to talk to him about how he was made in love and how God has a plan and a purpose for everybody, but how sin comes in and it separates us from our loving father and, and that's why Jesus had to come. I talk about how it's not about the good things that we've done in this life, but it's about the good thing that Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. And I go through the gospel the entire time. He's completely unresponsive, totally comatose. It felt just like youth ministry to me in that moment. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. But, but it, after I was done, I, I just gently take his hand and I say, now I'm going to pray on your behalf. And if you would like to accept Jesus as your Lord, if, if you'd like to accept the gift of his grace, you can just squeeze my hand or you can blink your eye or just privately, however you'd like, you can respond. And instantly my hand is in a vice grip. And he's nodding his head, yes, yes. And there are tears coming down his cheeks. Friends, I've never been more certain of a humble response to the gospel than in that moment. And so I pray with him. After I'm done, I, I, I tell him, now you can be sure of two things. Number one, all of your sin is forgiven. It's covered, it's gone. Number two, whenever your journey on this life is over, you can be assured you'll be welcome with open arms in heaven. Meanwhile, his ex-wife is just celebrating. She's just praising God. She's just so excited. And, and so I, I tell her, listen, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna get some sleep. But if you would, would you please call me? Let me know how things go. She says, yes. She thanks me. About 20 minutes later, I, I, I've gotten home. I'm now getting back in bed when the phone rings again. And she wanted to call. She said, I thank you so much for coming down. And I want you to know my ex-husband just passed away into a joy-filled eternity. When I hung up the phone, I began to weep. I began to praise Jesus for inviting me into that kind of an adventure. And then it hits me how close I was to missing it. It would have been so easy. I can't even tell you how great the temptation was to just pray with her on the phone and hang it up. And, and that's the thing. If you ever think to yourself, I wish God would invite me into, into adventure. Listen, if we don't listen to his voice, if we don't heed his guidance, then we don't ever know what we've missed out on. It's only when we say yes to his adventure, when we lean into obedience, then we see how easy it would have been to miss. And so, yeah, we have to believe that this is the posture that Jesus wants. In fact, this is what Jesus says is gonna be normative. He's, he's, he says this, I'm the shepherd. My sheep are actually gonna listen to my voice and they're gonna follow me. This is what he says in, in John chapter 10. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own sheep, and they know me. So yeah, Jesus is speaking to us. He is guiding us 
nudging us, prompting us. He's, he, he speaks to us through our life circumstances. Next thing we need to talk about hearing God's voice is that there are some practices that help us. Uh, the first practice is simply quiet. Quiet, the practice of quiet. With such noisy lives we live all the time, we have to build quiet in. It does not happen on its own. It's not gonna happen organically anymore. We've got to be intentional about building quiet in. The next word is the word priority. Priority, in other words, we have to want to hear from the Lord. This has to be something that we desire, something that we're gonna prioritize. The third word is the word proximity. Proximity means nearness. It means being intimate with Jesus. The Bible promises us that as we draw near to him, he does what? He draws near to us. And the fourth word is the word stillness. Stillness. Many of you know this psalm, Psalm 4610, which says, Be still and know that I am God. The longer that I'm in ministry, the longer that I'm following Jesus, the more I realize that there is a connection between the stillness and the knowing. The more we build stillness in, the more we build priority in and proximity, the more we build quiet in, the more we will know the voice of God, the more we will hear what he has for us to hear. But I do wanna tell you that the very first step in discerning God's voice in your life is simply deciding that you're gonna obey it when it comes, right? So often what we wanna do is we wanna say, God, why don't you tell me what you'd like and then I'll let you know if I'm in or not. Well, that's cheating just a little bit. In fact, I found this quote. It says, warning, no Lord is a contradiction in terms. You can't call him Lord if you're gonna say no. You can't say no if you're gonna call him Lord, far better to respond like Isaiah, the prophet, responds. Isaiah 6, 8 says this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah's response was immediate and it was simple. Here I am, send me. He was operating out of a posture of obedience. Whatever it was that God was calling him to, Isaiah was ready for Notice what Isaiah did not do. He did not ask, Lord, will this be convenient for me? Is there a training course? Will it come with health benefits? Can you guarantee my safety? What are the girls there like? Can I wear my rainbow sandals? What if there's no espresso? Should I bring a coffee maker just in case? Will it be in Europe? Should I bring an adapter? (laughs) Now, he didn't ask any of that. His response was immediate, yes, because he knew that whatever it was God was calling him to would be the very best thing for God's glory and for his life. It's called preemptive obedience, by the way. And so I wanna ask where you are in this conversation. Are you in a place like Isaiah? Do you have this posture of preemptive obedience, whatever God calls you to? Or are you kind of hedging your bets with an excuse or two? Let me go into a few reasons I've heard over the years why people opt out of following God's call. The first reason that we give to opt out of God's call is simply this, I'm too young. I'm too young. I'll jump in and follow God's plan for my life when I'm older, when I've learned a few things, when I get out of my prolonged adolescent phase. But the Bible makes it clear that God isn't primarily concerned with how old we are, with how much experience we've had, with how much knowledge, even the skill set that we have. 
We have to remember that God calls young people to incredible things all the time. David was a teenager when he battled and defeated the giant Goliath. Joan of Arc was in her teens when she routed the English armies out of France. Thomas Jefferson was in elementary school when he penned the Declaration of Independence. That's not true. That would have been a great third point, but that's not, that's not true. Here's what it says regarding Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah 1.4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said. I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. There it is, the excuse. Too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. You see, God believes in young Jeremiah. God has plans for young Jeremiah, and God provides for young Jeremiah. I bring all this up because some of you here, you are young. You're a young mom, you're a young dad. You're a young teacher, you're a young business person, you're a young entrepreneur, you're a young ministry leader. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But right now, commit to having the posture of Isaiah. Say to the Lord, here I am, send me. That's the first excuse. Second excuse I hear on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's not I'm too young, it's I'm too old. I'm too old. I used to be a weapon in God's arsenal, but I've put in my time. Now I'm uncool, confused by technology. I find skinny jeans ridiculous. (laughs) Besides, what could I do? And whenever I hear that posture as a pastor, I basically go a little nuts Because the kindest grace givers, the proxy moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, the very best and most loving children's ministry leaders and ushers and greeters and huggers are all in their beautiful golden years. I call these the wisdom years. There's so much experience. There's so much knowledge. There's so much wisdom to be imparted in these years. In my church, there's a dear saint named Mel. Mel is a bit of a spiritual father to me. And before I speak, often he'll come and he'll put his hand on my shoulder and he'll just pray over me, pour courage into me. Now, I don't know how old Mel is, but the movie Jurassic Park, it brought back memories for him. He has an autographed Bible. He remembers when rainbows only came in black and white. So uh, the point I'm trying to make is this. There is no expiration date in the kingdom of God. You might know the story of Daniel. He was thrown into the lion's den because he was powerful in the kingdom in which he served. And the king's advisors were threatened by his power. And so they they tricked the king so that he would be thrown into the lion's den. Many of us are familiar with the episode, but we might not know Daniel was in his 80s when that happened. And that's a picture I'd love to see painted is every Christ follower in their 70s and 80s and beyond powerful for the kingdom of God. I bring this up because I know that there are some here, you've been serving Jesus for a long time. 
You've been faithful on, for, on a long road in the same direction, and I, um, I, I applaud you. I commend you, and I want to say to you, don't give up. But instead, respond like Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. The third excuse I hear, I'm too busy. This excuse tends to cut across all sorts of socioeconomical, uh, age, family demographic kinds of things. We're just busy and over busy in this world in which we live. The fourth excuse is the excuse I'm too comfortable. I'm too comfortable. I like my current circumstances. I'm enjoying myself. Could you please pass the cheese dip? Now, people don't really say this out loud. We don't really talk about our desire for comfort, but truly every excuse has as its root some level of comfort. We like, weaned as we are in the West with our addiction to convenience, we like the comfort zones of our life. And by definition, when somebody calls us outside of our comfort zone, that's uncomfortable. We don't like that. But I would challenge you as a pastor today to consider responding to God with a yes. Consider saying yes to the call of Jesus by stepping out of your comfort zone. Why? Because that's where the life is. That's where the glory is. That's where the adventure is. That's where you get to participate in miracles. And you might push back and you might want to say, hey, preacher boy, wait a second. I'm afraid that if I get in that place of preemptive obedience, where I'm willing to say yes to anything God calls me to, he might disrupt the plans that I have for my life. To that I would say, absolutely he will. Uh, Yeah, God's call often disrupts our, our plans, our agenda, gloriously so. Listen, I am a testimony for this. I was serving in Orange County, California, where I grew up. I I love the sunshine. I love to surf. I had a plan for the rest of my life. I was going to surf every week. I was going to let my skin get tan and leathery like everyone else in Orange County. I was going to whiten my teeth artificially like everyone else in Orange County. And, And that was my plan. And instead, God called me to Seattle. Living under that cloudy blanket for 12 years, my skin has become white like an Irish newborn. The only thing tan about my body because of all the coffee is my teeth. And contrary to popular opinion, it never pours rain in Seattle. It only spits all the time. It's like living under the lettuce mister at the grocery store. I found this quote, it's, it's not from the Bible. It says, for I know the plans I have for me, declares myself. Plans that are mostly petty, entertainment focused, and primarily self-concerned. And that's where most of us are. And, and, and we have to recognize that God's call is gonna disrupt our plans. It's gonna upend our agenda, but gloriously so. Isaiah found this out, Jeremiah found this out, many in the scriptures found this out, but perhaps none more than Mary, mother of Jesus. To picture her, you'd have to picture a young teenager, maybe mid-teens at most. She's engaged to be married to the town carpenter. She's a good girl, but no discernible halo. And an angel shows up and announces to her that she's to be pregnant. This is the world's holiest EPT test, by the way. She's to be pregnant. Now, pregnancy, when it's unplanned, can always be a shocker. 
But Mary was under no illusions what that meant for her day. To be pregnant outside of wedlock could carry with it the death penalty. Now, she, there, there was instant stress and fear. And not only this, but the, the angel announces that this is to be the savior of the world. Can you imagine how that conversation with Joseph went just a little later? Joseph, honey, I have not been unfaithful. Listen, I'm pregnant with God's baby and the savior of the world. He's like, I'm calling Jerry Springer right now. (laughs) No, please listen. When, When you read the heroes of faith in the pages of scripture, do not imagine they live in this holy bubble where every twist and turn is just a, a lark, a zippity doodah day. Do not reduce them down to animated characters in a Disney film. The only reason they are heroes of faith is because they said yes to God's will even when their hearts were pounding or breaking. You could just imagine Mary as she held her newborn against the cold of a stable night and she looks up to heaven and she says, God, thank you for this incredible disruption. You could just imagine Mary as she sees her boy turn water into wine at the wedding in Cana and she just looks up to the the heavens and says, Father, thank you for this miraculous disruption. You could imagine Mary in anguish as she watches them beat her son as they nail these nails into his wrists and into his feet, as they pierce his side, as they raise him up on Calvary, that she screams, God, why this horrible disruption? And three days later, when she sees her son resurrected in glory, you could imagine her saying, Father, thank you for this glorious, glorious, glorious disruption. You want to know why Mary is a hero of faith? It's because of what she said way back at the beginning, before she ever knew how the story was gonna end, before she ever knew where the twist and turn in the road would take her. This is what she says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. She knew who she was. She was God's servant. And because she was God's servant, she was about whatever God was about for her. And this brings me to my last point about hearing God's voice, and it's this. Submitting to God's call now prepares us to hear God's voice in the future. Submitting to his call now, it's a decision you and I can make right now. Yes, it takes some things. It takes quiet, it takes priority, it takes proximity, it takes stillness. But more than anything else, it takes submission. We're gonna decide to submit to God's call. And of course, our perfect model for this is Jesus himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying again and again that this cup of suffering would be passed from him. But at the end, he concludes, and this is what he says. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, and again, he's praying the cup would pass. May your will be done. May your will be done. It's the simplest, most powerful prayer you and I could ever pray. May your will be done. I pray you make that decision today. You see, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Mary, Jesus, this is good company to be in. But so often, Jonah is whose company we find ourselves in. And to find out what happens in his story, you're gonna have to read to the end of the book or at least come back next week 
We're gonna continue that. But right now, what I wanna do is I wanna challenge you to do some listening today. What is it that God's calling you to do? It's kind of the beginning of a year. What's he calling you to do this year? Will you do some listening? What's he calling you to do this month? How about this week? What about today? You see, if if we had some time together, eye to eye, knee to knee, I know it wouldn't even take us five minutes to land on one or two things that you already sense God is stirring in your heart. See, maybe for you, if you haven't said yes to a relationship of love with Jesus, maybe for you, that's the starting place. We know that's a call that he's got on your life, that you would trust and receive his gift of grace. Maybe for you, it's a move of generosity. Maybe for you, it's plugging into a ministry. Maybe for you, it's reaching out to a colleague you haven't talked to for many years. Maybe it's visiting a sick friend. Maybe it's just treating your spouse with a little extra love and compassion this week. See, I don't know what it is that Jesus is calling you to. I just know this, that he is calling. It's time for us to listen and respond. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes? And Jesus, we do recognize that you are present with us, that you are loving, that you are caring, that you are grace-filled, that you are the Savior, that you are the Lord. We are so thankful for your presence in our lives. And Lord, we know that, that there is some work we can do on our end of the equation to listen to you more and better. We pray that you would show us how we would build quiet in how we would build priority and proximity and stillness into our lives. But more than anything else, we wanna answer the question of how we'll respond to you today. We wanna say yes. Yes, we want to go where you call us to go. Yes, we wanna do what you call us to do. Yes, we submit to your will. It's not our will, but yours we wanna see done. So we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen, amen. Thank you very much, God bless.